0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 98 of The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. And this is take 12 of our opening. (laughs) Is this one okay for you?
1: I get it'll have to be. (laughs) We don't have all night. I have been lambasted like four separate times. That's, wow, that's such an exaggeration. You're so lucky. (laughs) Uh,
0: This has been a pretty exciting period in a downtime in the tennis schedule, in terms of tennis being... Far strewn all over the globe and not very accessible for us mm-hmm. in the in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, I think tennis is, is a bit hard to follow for a lot of fans. The super fans will follow it everywhere and have it on multiple screens and follow the scores all day. But it can be tough because there are so many tournaments going on in different cities across Asia, but also in Europe it has more to do with the time that the matches are on for us yes for for western hemisphere folks right
0: but we had caroline garcia i guess it's caroline garcia she's french she won the chinese double the china double wuhan and beijing Mm -hmm. back to back which is all sorts of crazy
1: yeah i mean the tournaments don't have the tradition yet or the name recognition, but these are two big-time tournaments. Wuhan is a Premier 5, is worth a 1,000 points, right? I would say her road to the Beijing title was even more impressive, a tougher draw in a smaller event. She came back from being
0: down a break repeatedly in the third set against Svitolina, in a match that Svitolina was trying to win to keep her number one hopes alive Mm -hmm. that week. And Garcia just wouldn't lose. We're talking about playing your ninth or 10th match in two weeks against top level opponents that you've never done before. And she was able to pull that one out again and then go on to beat
1: Halep, the newly crowned number one in the final. Svitolina has been the type of player this year who is beating everyone she's supposed to beat in WTA tournaments. She's even beating a lot of people she wasn't supposed to beat this year. But she's Remarkably consistent, just impressive week in week out, an incredible athlete, and so for a lot of the year I was hanging my hat on my pick, Elena Svitolina doing really well, and now look who it is, Garcia, the one you picked to break out in 2017.
0: I went back and listened to that audio, and I'll play a little bit for a little bit of it for you shortly. You picked Svitolina, and she's won so many titles this year. And now Garcia is putting her hand up and making me look good. <laughs> I had also picked Osaka, uh, but in that segment as well from at the end of last year, it said, well, she's the pick that most people would make to break out in 2017, mm-hmm. but she's
1: still probably a little bit too young, which is what's happened. Right. She's had some big wins, some some impressive wins, but I think this season has, has had a, little, a few growing pains for her. And young women on the WTA Tour... It looks like need a few more years to develop. You also picked
0: Karen Hatchinov, And then I picked Dimitrov and Young Chung to break out. Mm. So we didn't do too badly. Chung is resurgent again. And Dimitrov has had some good results. He's back in the top 10, made the semis of Australia. Won and a Masters event. Yeah. So let's play a little bit of that audio for you. Breakout players for 2017. We've been talking all year Taking credit for Kerber and Pliskova in particular, who are the people who, when we do this recap episode at the end of next year, if we're still around, that we're going to be like, told you so. Mm
1: -hmm. For me, I want to throw out there, I don't think this will be a big surprise to people who are into tennis. Elena Svitolina is my player to watch over the next year. We mentioned that she has no first-round losses at majors over the past two years. She was the finalist in Zhuhai against Kvitova, and this year she has a very high-profile win over Serena at the Olympics, mm-hmm. as you know. But she also beat Kanta Muguruza and Kerber this year. So I'm predicting big things for her in the in the coming year.
0: Okay, so that's who you've got on the WTA side. Yes, I've got two players. One of them that I think might be a little bit obvious for a lot of folks and the popular pick, Naomi Osaka.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think
0: she'll get there eventually. I think that her age is still a prohibitive factor. Mm -hmm. We just don't see players of her age making those big breakthroughs anymore. So I'm going to hang my hat on that as a predictor and say, well, if it happens, makes sense. If it doesn't, I fully expected in a couple of years. Okay. Look at Madison Keys, right? She's right. probably the hottest pick for breakout player next year, even though she's made at least the fourth round in damn near every event mm-hmm. in the last two years. Even though she has in grand slams. Slams. she's
1: broken out, yeah. but it's reaching that next level, yes. right?
0: It's a lot more incremental in women's tennis these days. And we saw that with Kerber as well. It takes years before you're able to build up to that point. Right. The person who I'm going to pick and who I was very impressed with at least a couple times, watching them live, and I've always felt that she's had boatloads of talent. A very accomplished doubles player, very young, very French, Caroline Garcia. Very French. <laughs> <laughs> I think she has the game to make a big dent in women's tennis.
1: I mean, Andy Murray has been calling it for a long time, but we saw those two huge, huge wins in Fed Cup. Mm-hmm. Is that something that kind of no, it tipped was, you off? No,
0: watching her against, I believe it was... On Court Nine in Cincinnati okay. last
1: year. Oh, last year, yeah.
0: Such a joy to watch. And you, <laughs> like Dimitrov, you're like, why isn't this person winning more? Mm-hmm. Isn't it so lovely to be able to tell people I told you so? Wow, that's so obnoxious. <laughs>
1: you don't see me doing that. I mean, this is totally lucky. On my part. Like, you you wanted to say I told you so, so badly that you got out the old audio <laughs> as a receipt and played it again. For well, people who probably
0: heard it the first time. No, people probably... I mean, what, a four-minute segment a year ago? Who's going to remember that? You know, this way you know that I wasn't lying when I said I picked <laughs> Garcia. Wow. Anyway, in Wuhan, she beat Kerber in the first round, Mikhail, Sibolkova, Makarova, Sakari, and then Barty in the final... And then she follows it up the following week by beating Mertens, Cornet, Svitolina, Kvitova, and Halep.
1: (laughs) And Kvitova was in great form in her first two matches. Cornet and Garcia apparently have made up after the whole Fed Cup row. Well, Cornet is out here on Twitter congratulating her, Mm -hmm. saying it's massive. So I don't know which Cornet that was, which personality. I wonder if she has, like... Summer, Taquanda, like all Serena's different uh, alter egos. Oh my God. I wonder what Alize's are. Are they all French names? Hennessy. Uh, uh, well, one is Spanish because she says vamos. Uh, <laughs> she did get
0: us going through the liquors.
1: Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: Alize, Hennessy. Oh, uh, what would the other ones be? Chris- du- Dubonnet.
1: Crystal. <laughs> After Crystal. <laughs> uh, where, where are we now? We kind of got oh, sidetracked. Okay. There. So Garcia, I mean, this tells you all you need to know about momentum in tennis and about how confidence plays a role in who wins and who loses week in, week out. She obviously, I mean, she's been building up to this throughout the season. I, don't, I definitely did not predict something like this. But her play has gotten stronger and stronger. People have been talking about her talent for many years. Of course, Andy Murray, years ago, watching her at the French... Said, you know, this girl's going to be number one. And uh, we've kind of been waiting, right? But she's had great results in doubles. She's had She performs well at her home tournament. And she's in the top 10 now.
0: She's a top 10 ranked player. She's eclipsed Kiki Mladenovic as the number one ranked French player. Oh. Which talk about a reversal of fortunes. Do we want to go there? Well, uh, Kiki was winning everything to start the season. And she's supposedly picked up an injury and she's ha- haven't been able to to win anything in the second mm-hmm. half of the year meanwhile garcia's just gone from strength to strength it's crazy how the two of them have diverged in terms of yes. results
1: i believe kiki's last win was in washington dc she's lost now 9 times in a row i i realize that she's dealing with injuries but why not just take a break i i don't i just don't get it like clearly her body and head are not where they were at the beginning of the season. We
0: are not part of her team. We are not part of the tennis professional traveling scene. We don't really know. I don't think it's our call to make. All right. <laughs> we're not seeing her medical records. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a little bit perplexing, surprising, and noteworthy to mention that these two women who've generated a lot of press for French tennis in 2017 are where they are now. hmm Ex- and extrapolate what you want from that on your own.
1: Yeah, and believe me, I don't wish any ill on Kiki Madunovic. I don't think I am taking no joy by the fact that she's losing. It is a little ironic. I well, maybe a little satisfying for the Garcia partisans who were pissed off by the whole mean girls routine earlier in the season. Well, she did the
0: a recurring blog for Sport 360 based out of Dubai. I guess mm-hmm. she's based out of Dubai as well. That's how that came to be. Okay. And so she did multiple of those throughout the, the spring heading into Wimbledon. And in one of them, she addresses the question that she's been asked a lot at that time in press and by folks all over the place wanting to know what happened with you and Caroline or Caroline. I have to get used to that. I've made an effort to change that. But it's <laughs> Caroline Garcia. Uh, and if you read that, article now it just doesn't read as well and it reminds me of something I said in the moment when she was making all these statements when she had everything to say about everything that these statements are cute when you're winning Mm -hmm. but when you're not winning for whatever reason be it lack of form injury or whatever and then when you have that compounded by Garcia taking flight you know, her hashtag is fly with Carol. That's her thing. Oh, really? And she extends her, her arms on the court and does a little plane taking off oh, routine.
1: Oh, I feel an endorsement coming. Air <laughs> France, <friends>? hello?
0: <laughs> but when you have those, all those things happening now, it really just doesn't make you look very good. You look more of a small person in that instance. Well, so it's unfortunate mm-hmm. and hopefully a lesson learned for her.
1: Like you said, When you're winning, it is, it's entertaining, right? It's, it's tea, but you, you better understand that people are going to use that against you when you're not winning, and I don't want to do that. However, 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 I will do that with someone. Who? So I think there, this Sharapova curse, there might be something to it. Eugenie Bouchard has continued her dire... Several years of play, really, oh if God. we're being honest. She had a good tournament when she beat Sharapova, but she's gone 4-10 since. And today, she lost to Wozniacki quickly 6-1, 6-1. Which, okay, in the middle of that match, the WTA tweeted maybe one of the rudest, shadiest things they've ever tweeted before. They showed, it was 6-1, 5-love. Caroline was up. They showed a, a brilliant point by that Bouchard won to win her first game in the second set. And they said, quote, Jeannie Bouchard attempts to ignite an incredible comeback. And I had only seen it after the match was lost. I mean, I mean, there was only one more game left in the match. Why would they tweet that? Maybe they legitimately were hoping for a Jeannie comeback. An incredible, ignite an incredible comeback. I if mean, she, did, she lost she, 6-1, 6-1. Yeah, Why but would she, you not delete that? If
0: she came back from 6 Six one five love it would have been an incredible comeback, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But it didn't really
0: look like it was in the cards. I mean, I think maybe it's ill-advised more so than shady.
1: <laughs> shady in hindsight, perhaps.
0: I think this is your own shadiness being right. projected onto. I it. mean, I laughed. I have to. I can't lie. Meanwhile, Joe Canto now finds herself in a position of potentially being nipped at the Singapore finish line Mm -hmm. once more. Did I say nipped or nicked? Nipped. What is correct? Nipped. Okay. Like a sprinter at the line you nipped them. Oh. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Last year, Svetlana Kuznetsova, she (laughs) came all the way to come and snatch Kanta's spot in Singapore. Kanta had already even taken (laughs) promo pictures in Singapore on site before Svetlana won that final tournament to qualify.
1: Right. In Moscow, I believe, right? Yes.
0: And here we are again with Caroline, Caroline <laughs> winning all these points the last two weeks. I, this is crazy. Never been done before level of points that Garcia has won the mm-hmm. last two weeks to come out of virtually nowhere. Conta must be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what do I got to do?
1: Right. Well, you could win a match in the fall. You've been a lot I mean, less charitable to her. I don't, I don't mean to rub salt in the wound, but she has not done anything to secure her spot in Singapore. And I don't know what she's dealing with. You know, It could be just a loss of form, confidence. There could be an injury. I have no idea. But she didn't win a match at the US Open and hasn't won one since. So, yes, she earned her spot to that point. You know, she's had a great year. And she's played in some of the classic matches of the year. But, I mean, you have to win a match or two after the U.S. Open. This is just a matter of
0: timing. There are so many people who've qualified who played shit in the first couple months of the year. Yeah, It just so happens that whether it be a combination of injury, fatigue, whatever, she hasn't been able to win a couple matches. And I don't think we should hold that against her. The point is, like, if I'm her a month and a half ago, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, I should be okay. Maybe I take take it a little bit easier, maybe I don't play as much as I wanted to, maybe I'm not pressing that much to win these matches and make injury situations worse, because I have a little bit of a cushion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: My point in saying that was, this is unforeseen, Yes. and yes,
1: she could have won more matches, but this sucks for her, two years in a row. It definitely does. It it couldn't be anticipated that someone behind her in the race would win 1,500 points from two tournaments just in time to qualify. Now, Kanta can still qualify, yes. but she does have to reach the final in Moscow.
0: And uh, apparently, Garcia attempted to get a, a wild card from Moscow, but was denied. <laughs> and folks immediately wanted to spin that as retribution for the French Federation not giving Sharapova a wild card at the French Open. Oh, is it, that's what I, is I saw? What a people, oh, I didn't even see that. But we've come to find out that those wild cards for that tournament had already been allotted. and There was one remaining which was supposedly reserved for Vico, which I don't <laughs> presume she'll be playing.
1: Oh, but I, I thought that the tournament director said he was reserving it for a Russian player. We've, I guess in Vika's absence? I guess.
0: We've read different things. Okay. I, don't, I don't know the full extent of of that but I know that the tournament has four wildcards. Three of them have already been issued, mm-hmm. being Lisicki,
1: Kerber, and who's the other one? Petkovic. Yes. I think we've talked about this before. The wild card system is inherently unfair. So I I don't think there's any reason to be more upset about this slight than, than any other. Because before this week, these past two weeks, if Carolyn Garcia had been denied a wild card, would people be up in arms about it? Mm-hmm. You know, she's not uh, particularly a huge draw for the Russian market. I imagine she's not Russian. She hasn't been a superstar yet, and wild cards are generally unfair. It tournaments give them to local players, to really whomever they want, aside from the few rules, like you know, a few reserved for top twenty players a few for outside of the top 20. I mean, and with the grand slams, we see these wildcard trade-offs between the national federations, which is clearly unfair to countries that don't have a major, which are already disadvantaged.
0: Point is, unless you hear it specifically, vindictively from somebody involved in the situation, it's mere speculation as to why she was or was not issued the wildcard mm. vis-a-vis Sharpovo. whatever. Right. Moving on to the other big news on the WTA. We have our fifth number one player crowned in 2017. Well, four have been crowned. Serena started number one. Mm -hmm. So four plus Serena. And this
1: person is... Simona Halep. What was that pronunciation? I don't know. (laughs) Simona. (laughs) The 25th woman to be ranked number one in the WTA. She has been on the cusp a lot of times this year, she's played for it a bunch of times and she's gotten there. She beat her French Open vanquisher, Yelena Ostapenko. If you recall, Halep had the
0: number one ranking and her first slam title on her racket, pretty mm-hmm. much, in that French Open final, being up a set in three love. And Ostapenko came back and won that. And then at the U.S. Open, Halep had the great miss... Misfortune of having to play Sharapova in the first round. And so last week in Beijing, she beats Sharapova easily. I believe it was 6-2, 6-2. Mm, like, yep. Really impressive performance. And then she goes on to beat Ostapenko in a number one match. Again, I believe that was a quarterfinal, and she needed to win that match to get the number one ranking, and she did it this time. Semifinals. Okay.
1: I have to give her a lot of credit because... That French Open loss could have been so devastating, could have derailed the rest of the season, and she didn't let it. She, like you said, having the number one racket or the number one ranking on her racket and her first Grand Slam against an untested opponent who had never reached even close to that stage in the Grand Slam and losing it, that could have been devastating. And then going to where Cincinnati and just getting destroyed in that final. She, I mean, she pulled it together. And I thought she played a very good match against Sharapova at the US Open. She I know did. not everyone, you know, people criticize her for not being aggressive enough or not taking advantage of Maria's errors, but this is who Maria is. She gets through these matches. She, How many three-set matches had she been in the year before her suspension and grinded through almost all of them? So kudos to Simona. And Simona in 2017,
0: she's made five finals with one title, a little bit of a a Wozniacki-esque season Mm -hmm. in making a lot of finals, winning one title. But she's made the quarterfinals of pretty much everything she's played, outside of maybe a a handful, which is, and I mean, that's a type
1: of consistency that you look to see in your top-ranked players. I think... I know there's been a bit of debate on Twitter, in the tennis world, you know, majors versus consistency. Results week in and week out and how difficult that is. And not being a player and not traveling with the players, I don't know that we can really speak to that, except that playing well over an entire season, enough to secure the number one ranking, is a very impressive achievement, the Grand Slam notwithstanding. We've been through
0: this so many times now. There have been so many number ones who haven't had a slam title. Right. And I don't think it diminishes the achievement. What what the issue really is, is we're still in the era of Serena Williams, where we know that she is the best player in tennis on her day. Mm-hmm. And so when you have somebody else in that number one spot officially people tend to be not very kind to them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's be real. Oh, yeah. And it's not their fault that that Serena doesn't play a full schedule, that she can win slams and maintain a number one ranking with a depressed
1: schedule, right? Like or, that, or that she had a baby.
0: Yeah, all these things are not the fault oh. of any of these other players. Mm. And so they can only win the matches in front of them, and based on the, the system, they have the most points, and so they deserve to be there. Who are the other four, the other three players this year? Oh, you, the other three? Yeah, use this as a precursor to your quiz that's coming up.
1: Oh, well, I have it written here. Oh. It's not really a quiz. Mm. We know it's Kerber, Pliskova, and Muguruza, who I I kind of thought Muguruza was going to hold on to it for a while, and I certainly think she'll get back there, and, and possibly Pliskova... And maybe even Kerber we don't know I think she's probably the least likely of those three but the the thing about parody in tennis is that when we don't have parody, it's like well the the tour is too easy Serena's just killing all these girls. when we do have parody it's like, well this is boring you know it there's always a way to denigrate the sport and I I'm just not I don't have the energy right now to get into the debate. I just say we kind of accept what we have and enjoy it.
0: All those women, Serena, Kerber, Pliskova, Muguruza, and Halep, have all played well enough to be number one, if you're paying attention to tennis Mm -hmm. over the last year. Like, just get over it.
1: (laughs) Are we ready for Rafa? Yeah, let's talk about the men's. So Rafael Nadal has, I mean, has really proved himself on every surface and every section of the calendar this year i have to say i was a bit surprised by his beijing title in his first match against pui he saved two match points pui played well uh really could have won it and uh i wasn't sure what to expect for the rest of the tournament but damn like he really turned it on after that first match so i watched the isner match and that was
0: amazing not only because he beat isner not only because he played very well against Isner, not just because he beat the type of player who supposedly would give him a whole world of trouble, like Isner supposedly did in beating him recently at the Labour Cup, but mostly because Rafa won that match 6-4, 7-6, and clinched it by winning a bagel tiebreak set. A bagel? A bagel. He won that second set tiebreak 7 love. It was... One of the greatest things I've ever witnessed
1: in my life. <laughs> Again, John, do it at a tournament that counts. You still don't have a win over him. It does not count.
0: Rafa's path to the title, the aforementioned win against Puyn. He beat hachinov Isner, a three-set match against Dimitrov in the semifinals. And then he beats Nick Kyrgios in the final. A match that was on even footing very early in the first set. And then Kyrgios just went away. And yeah. to Nadal's credit, he played exceptional tennis.
1: Yeah. What <laughs> We kind of have to talk about Nick. In terms of? Well, a lot of things. He's he making headlines all over the place for different reasons. There have been a lot of trolley headlines he he really lost the plot in that match, that final against Rafa. He got upset with the chair umpire. He was muttering at himself during Rafa's service games and just seemed to be mentally checked out. And he's not a player who plays well when he's angry, interestingly. He's a player who excels when he's relaxed and when he looks almost lackadaisical on court because that's when magic comes off his racket. We watched these two play in Cincinnati and
0: neither of the players who showed up in Cincinnati showed up in Beijing.
1: (laughs) Right. Because that was not the same Rafa and that was not the same Nick. No, because Rafa was totally outplayed in Cincinnati and it wasn't, wasn't altogether unexpected because you know Nick is a player who can do that. But man, it He just wasn't able to to find it.
0: And then fast forward to Shanghai, which the very next day after losing that final, he's playing doubles with Pui. He wins that match. And then yesterday, he plays
1: his first singles match in Shanghai and retires after losing the first set. Mm -hmm. He was upset with the umpire again. He was annoyed about how the umpire was dealing with the crowd, apparently, and made a comment like, if this doesn't get better, I'm going to retire and go home. So a lot of people, of course, jumped on that and saw it as tanking. And he released a statement later today saying he had been suffering a stomach bug, his shoulder was sore, he was just not there physically. And that's what contributed to his, his retirement, not any issue with the umpire. It
0: seems like he's not able to express himself properly. That's, that's clear he's not able to to show us the the quote-unquote appropriate ways that he should be behaving on court Mm. in relation to how he's feeling right
1: well (laughs) exactly like he doesn't uh he doesn't perform the the usual conventions of on-court behavior so we can sort of infer what he's feeling right and So many people are out here psychoanalyzing Nick. And I really want to try to avoid doing that because there's a lot of talk about uh, mental health. We've done this in the past. We've done more than enough of that when we probably shouldn't have. And I'm just tired of it. Like, the thing is, Nick is not really hurting anyone but himself. Obviously, there are some self-destructive tendencies going on here. And it looks like he kind of resents having to explain himself every every time something goes wrong. But he is really not, it's kind of a victimless crime, except for himself. It's also
0: a case of the chicken and the egg, right? Because he knows at this point what he would need to do, things that are totally within his control to avoid those situations, to have to explain himself. Right. And yet he doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. So why isn't he able to do it? That's Mm -hmm. where the, the
1: questioning comes in. I think I'm in a position at this point just to say, look, I want him to excel because I think it's obvious he has so much talent and is a superstar. I mean, people go crazy for him. You saw it in Labor Cup, him really being the only exciting player on Team World, the only player that the crowd really reacted to. So he has an amazing future in tennis. And I I don't even want to say if he wants it, because I think that's demeaning. He could want it and and still not achieve it. A lot of players have. I just, I want to see him excel because he's exciting and he's awesome to watch. And having been impressed with him in Cincinnati, like I said before, gave me a totally different perspective, like a a more rounded perspective on him. Of course, I don't know him, but I kind of want to know more.
0: Part of the frustration with following Nick is that you see incremental progress Mm. and then you see setbacks like the same kind of thing over and over again and so you kind of people cloak it under saying wish he would grow up which I think is too simplistic Mm -hmm. Uh, but you kind of you kind of want him to become a more professional tennis player or do you think that's too loaded and coded (laughs) maybe
1: without losing the things that make him him yeah
0: like he's He's figuring it out in parts now. And mm-hmm. it's just maybe a little bit of time before it comes together in a way that
1: makes sense emotionally for him. Right. And we, I have to say our feelings on this have evolved a lot. We were very uncharitable with him for a long time, a few years ago. Where I'm at right now is I don't want to sit here and say what he should do because that's useless and i don't know him
0: personally it's one of the the life lessons that we've learned as well outside exactly. of tennis we've, you're right you're right we have grown up as well we've learned not to tell people what they should or shouldn't do because <laughs> we are not them moving on um nick has started his nk foundation do you want to tell us
1: a little bit about yeah. that? yeah so he contributed to the australian publication player's voice which i guess is like a player's tribune in australia and he said he had finally found what what he really wanted to do, what he wanted to define him, basically. And that was to create a space for underprivileged kids in Australia to come, to hang out, to even stay if they need to. There'll be housing, to play tennis, to play basketball, or just chill. A safe space for kids who don't have safe spaces. He is actually currently scouting a location in Melbourne right now, and he says he's looking in places that are accessible by transit, that are near neighborhoods of lower socioeconomic status. He's really thought this through, and apparently Tennis Australia is going to help him do fundraising projects for it. So, I mean, kudos to him. Like, he is obviously really passionate about this stuff, and I think if this is something that gets him excited and helps other people, that is amazing.
0: Rafa, he has now won six titles in 2017 from nine finals. And if you recall, he started the year, the first final was the Australian Open, Mm -hmm. and then he lost in the final of Acapulco to Sam Querrey. Then he loses in the final of Miami to Federer. And it's like, well, damn. Like, these are good (laughs) results. He's getting to the finals, but... what? Come on, right, you know? Right, right. And then the clay spring season happened, and it's just been a runaway train since, with the exception of losing early at that Wimbledon to Cincinnati stretch. Right.
1: And Wimbledon wasn't even bad. It no. was. It
0: was the two uh, big summer hardcore tournaments. Yeah. That five-set loss to Miller was not the end of the world by any stretch. No. But at this point, he's now won Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid, Roland Garros, U.S. Open and Beijing, with the last two being the most surprising of the bunch, Mm -hmm. obviously. And what folks are are saying is, oh, this is surprising because they're hard court events. And kudos to Federer, because he was asked about this in press in Shanghai, and he he clapped back in defense of Rafa. He was like, you know, people like to talk about Rafa not being that great on hard courts, but I can assure you who he, he is. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, people are clouded by the 10 French Open titles and want to, to classify him as a one-dimensional type player. But we should know by now that Rafa is very accomplished and pretty damn great on hard courts mm-hmm. as well. And Federer made the point of saying slow and fast. Right. How many Australian Open Finals has he made? He's won pretty much Everything there is to win on hard courts. Come on.
1: And now he's got six majors off clay, which is as many majors as Edberg and Becker have. Andre has eight, with one of them being on clay. I mean, take away clay and he's still among the greats.
0: A byproduct of this latest win, his first outing since winning the US Open, is that he's also now locked up the year in number one ranking. Which, I mean, again in terms of the unexpected nature of 2017.
1: That is something else <laughs> <laughs> that we would not have predicted. Again, I'm happy for the lack of suspense, just like with the race to Singapore. He's now
0: in Shanghai. He'll be playing Basel, I believe Paris, and then the the London event.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's playing quite a bit in the fall. He must be feeling
0: pretty and if, fit if this uh, form continues, he's, if he's able to go deep and win a few more tournaments, his reign at number one could be quite long because, I mean, he's going to be having potentially a 3,000 point lead over Federer who then has all these points to defend yeah. more so than him heading into the French season. And if Rache- if Rafa is as impregnable as he's been in the past on French, again, next spring then he gets to the middle of the season, still with nobody near him. You know, like the, the mm. schedule with him having no points to defend the rest of the year pretty much has set him up to really vulture enough points to just have him ahead of the field for a while. In other news, David Goffin has won back to back titles as well, a la Garcia. He won Shenzhen and then he wins in Japan. And this is somebody who we, we talked about when it happened at the French Open. That unfortunate tarp injury that he suffered at the French Open, which caused him to miss Wimbledon. He came back in mid-July, made a couple quarterfinals, and now he's back in full force and back in the top 10. This was also somebody who came so close to breaking into the top 10 for so long, only to have it be an aborted stay. Hmm. And now he's back
1: playing his best tennis. So kudos to him venus is back this week in hong kong and you note i didn't realize this that she's been making announcements about her 2018 season yeah i did hear about sydney Mm -hmm. so no auckland for her
0: this year eh? no but she's going to be extending her off season which good for her (laughs) right who can blame her? she hasn't played sydney in a little while and she made mention that she has fond memories of sydney because it was one of the tournaments that she first played when she came on the scene Mm and she beats Rizozaki 6 6-2, 6-2 in Hong Kong last night and we get a rematch of Naomi Osaka from Wimbledon oh. in her second match all right and it's not an easy draw for her in Hong Kong so we'll see how this goes
1: mm-hmm. but she's in Singapore regardless
0: mhm Martina Hingis and Youngjun Jun Chan or Letitia, they've won their ninth title in 2017 they just can't stop winning Mm. It's their fourth straight title, and it's the third straight event that they've beaten Sanya Mirza and Peng Shuai in the semifinals. Wow. That sucks for them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Martina is, again, the number one-ranked doubles player in the world. Wow. Rankings watch, Denis Shapovalov. (laughs) Shapovalov. (laughs) I I just get stuck and tongue-tied now whenever I attempt to pronounce this, because of apparently how
1: wrong we've been pronouncing it before and all the varying pronunciations that there are. Well, I mean, to be fair, when he corrected everyone on the pronunciation, it was a very Canadian pronunciation of his own name. Apparently, Chapovalov. Yes. Okay.
0: Something close to that, I think. He is the youngest player to debut in the top 50
1: since Rafael Nadal. What? Yep. Wow. And he's at... Exactly at number 50. As of
0: Monday, he may rise a couple spots next week. Okay. He loses to Viktor Troitsky in the first round in Shanghai.
1: The Shrolex Masters. Have you seen this? The what? hashtag? That's what it is? SH Rolex Masters. There maybe I should save this for later. For my things we dislike. They are so desperate to get the brand in the name that now they're calling it Shrillex Masters. (laughs) Do they have Shrillex performing at this event as well? Yes, he is the Chinese version of Skrillex. (laughs) Oh, it's Skrillex? Yes. (laughs) You didn't know
0: that? It worked regardless. Diego Schwartzman is up to career high number 26. He's been going from strength to strength. The little right? engine that could. <laughs> the little nugget. <laughs> and Maria, you have this noticed here. no yes. Noted here, Maria over up 18 spots, number 86. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's a lot of spots in, in one week. Yeah. I was just going through and, and looking for big jumps, and I'm like, oh, I, I know that person. <laughs> so up to number 86, will there won't be a wild card fight in the Australian Open, right? She'll get no, in. No, she'll get in. Yeah.
0: And as we know, Halep is number one, and that's going to be a fight for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. It might not be settled at all for the upcoming six months. (laughs) (laughs) Who's next? Who's next? Svidlina's next, I guess.
1: I mean, it might not be settled for the next several years, because Serena, if and when she comes back, will probably not play a full enough schedule to get back the number one ranking. All she
0: has to do is win the tournament she enters, which she can, so... (laughs) Are you ready for your quiz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do this quiz and then finish with things we like and dislike. This quiz, it's interactive. If you have time to participate, pause the podcast, grab a piece of paper. This is called The Age Game. Do you have your paper ready? I do, yeah. Do you have your pen ready? Yep. Okay. So... How this game is going to work is that you're going to make four columns. Stop clicking the pen. I have to get ready. (laughs) You're going to make four columns and you're going to head them with numbers 23, 24, 25, and 26. So I'm going to give you a list of WTA players and you're going to put them in the appropriate column. Okay. And once you've done that, then we'll go from there. There's more to the game. Okay. Now, you told me that this is not going to really play well on air, but this is where you have to step up to the, to the plate. Mm-hmm. Part of this is that you have to be letting folks know what you're thinking, talking out loud as you write. <laughs> you have to make this fun for them as well, okay? Oh, I'll try. So the first player I'm going to name is Asia Muhammad, and you're going to put her where you think she is in terms of how old she is.
1: Okay. I think she's 25. Because you know why? Because I have no idea. And I'm just going to put it there.
0: <laughs> Camilla Georgie.
1: Camilla Georgie, 24. Zarina Diaz. Um, 24. Daria
0: Gavrilova.
1: Dasha. Um, oh, I bet she's 23.
0: Karolina Plishkova.
1: Pliskova, 20... Oh. Oh, shit, I thought I would know that. Um, what about her twin? It... <laughs> now, remind me, which is left-handed and which... Oh, I okay. know now. Okay. Um, I think she's 25.
0: Monica Puig. 24. Caroline Garcia.
1: Caroline, uh, 24.
0: Misaki Doi.
1: Miss... I have no idea. 26.
0: Elina Svidolina.
1: 23. 23. I think that's the only one that I've gotten right so far.
0: (laughs) Sloane Stevens. Sloane... Isn't she also 23? I'm not going to tell you right now. Sloane Ranger. Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova.
1: I think she's the oldest.
0: (laughs) The oldest? That's so rude. (laughs) (laughs)
1: She's been around forever.
0: Kiki, uh, Kiki Mladenovic. Um... I bet she's 25. How do you say that in French? Do you know? You failed French. You don't know. I did fail French. I can say it in Spanish. I can say that too. Christina McHale. Um,
1: 24.
0: Kiki Burton's. I don't know.
1: 23.
0: Nicole Gibbs. 25. Jeannie Bouchard.
1: Um.
0: 23. Oh, I have Zerina Diaz here twice, Mm-mm, so I don't... now have to find the person who I didn't put in the first time who should be on the list. This is going to be interesting. For now, let's go with Simona Halep.
1: Uh, Simona is 26, I think. Okay, I found the person who I have missing. Okay. Garbine Muguruza. Oh, she's 24, so somebody here. I, I have too many who are 24 now. <laughs> Coco Vandewey. I don't give a fuck. Why are you going to be so rude? <laughs> um, she's probably, I think she's 25.
0: And the last one I have here is Joe Canto.
1: She's 26.
0: Okay, so tell me and tell me how many of each age do you have?
1: Oh, well, uh, five at 23, four at 24, five at 25, and four at 26.
0: You can't count. You have six at 24. Isn't that what I said? No, you have four. Oh. <laughs> so the, the thing you have to do now is that these ages all have five per column. Yeah, I thought
1: so. Because that you made up my little... Well, the, the listeners don't know that. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, fine. I'm going to put DS at 26, and then we're done.
0: You're done? Yeah. I will have you know that you probably have four right. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know more than I expected. No joke. Like so many of those are wrong. Okay. How do you want to just, do? you want to, I'm just, just go gonna, through the ages and okay, remember. the twenty-three-year-olds, Caroline Garcia. Do you have that wrong? Uh hmm mm-hmm. Svitolina, you have right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jeannie Bouchard. Yep. Gavrilova. Yep. So you got most of the young ones. Oh, right. I did. Okay. It gets pretty bad after that. Okay. Though. Fine. Zarina Diaz is 23
1: oh, oh shit, okay
0: 24, we have Mladenovic Nope Sloan Stevens. Nope Monica Puig, you got right Yep Nicole Gibbs Nope And you got Muguruza right Yes, okay So how many of those did you get right? Two? Two So you're up to five Yeah Five of More ten. than
1: you thought I got for the whole thing Okay,
0: 25-year-olds Pliskova Yes Christina Mikhail. Coco Vanderwey. Yes. Camila Georgie. No. And Kiki Burtons. No. 26 years old. Simona Halep. Yeah. Pavli Yes. Kanta. Yes. Asia Muhammad. No. Which really surprised me. I did not know Asia Muhammad mm-hmm. was that old. Not to be rude and disrespectful. Right. And then Misaki Doi is 26.
1: Oh, 26, I aced. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I got 11.
0: 11 of 20. That was pretty good. 55%. I'm
1: I'm very happy. Wow. (laughs) This is not... If I had studied for this test, I would have gotten better than a 55. That would defeat the purpose. That's not the the correct grading, you know, the grading scheme.
0: And since I like to tap myself on the back, pat myself on the back, we made this agenda and I had put on it, we're doing a quiz, who is giving the quiz? You write me and you say... I don't know. I'm like, well, do you want to do the quiz? I don't know.
1: <laughs> you know? Well, you know, give me a topic and then I'll make one. you like, but I, can't I, think,
0: I can't I, think I, of But one. I can't give you a topic that I'm going to then take the quiz for. Mm. Which, if y'all are bored by James taking all these quizzes, this is why. Because he won't take initiative <laughs> to make these quizzes. So yet again, 10 minutes before broadcast time, <laughs> I'm scrambling to come up with this quiz. So if you thought it was shit, that's why.
1: Wow. Really, I mean, now that I'm in my 30s, Mm -hmm. 23 through 26 sounds like the exact same age. Like, what is the difference? Oh, Really? Mm.
0: (laughs) So let us know if you enjoyed this different kind of quiz that we did, and let us know how many you got right. Tell us your score out of 20. Tell us if you beat 55%. That's the pass mark, apparently. all right for this american where everybody gets a ribbon for participation that's
1: not true because in my school 65 was passing and in canada it's 50 that's terrible
0: in my school anything under 90 was an abomination (laughs) don't lie you exaggerate it was on to things that we like and dislike you want to start because you actually have things written down do you have stuff that you're going to talk about
1: uh yes
0: I'm going to start with Things I Dislike, and it centers, again, on television, and it centers on gay representation on television, specifically Cam and Mitchell on Modern Family, which is an abomination over the course of, what, eight or
1: nine seasons now? You should maybe be careful about using that word so free and easy with regard to gay things. That's true, that's true, that's true. (laughs) Unless we're reclaiming it, and I just missed it. Uh, do they even love each other
0: that's my question do they even like each other right every single storyline with these two is some contrivance where they're lying deceiving not being supportive betraying not having open lines of communication Mm. there's never an intimacy between the two it's it's crazy that this is a portrayal of a gay character, like the most, the most prominent portrayal of, of gay characters on network TV in history. And this is what we still oh, have, you. right? And I have no tolerance for the two of them anymore. It's not funny. I don't appreciate it. Maybe shame on me for still be watching Modern Family. And what made me think of them as well this week is because Will and Grace is back. And that's another show that I've always felt uneasy about the portrayal of gay characters. To be clear, Will & Grace has a very special place in gay cultural history and deservedly so because they did things well before its time, right? And they had limitations working within the structure of of NBC and network television. There's only so much that they could do. However... You haven't seen episode two in the revival. I watched it last night. The very first scene, Jack bursts through the door as he normally does. And he's sashaying through the room. And as he starts to sashay, in comes the laugh track. And I'm thinking, yeah. like, what is funny?
1: I did watch it, actually.
0: You did watch it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, Why, why is that funny? Why are we using the laugh track there? Like, part of me is... Just can't get past thinking that this show has just used stereotypes to turn these characters into caricatures
1: well it felt like a very 90s joke and jack and karen were always kind of caricatures Mm -hmm. like will and grace did the more emotional heavy lifting
0: yes but then you have that depiction of of jack in direct relation to will who is played by a straight man hmm. and whose masculinity on that show is held up in direct opposition to Jack. And if we're constantly laughing at Jack because he's flitting around the place and being effeminate and, and uh, Will is decidedly not so, and we're not laughing at him, what is it that we're saying? Right. You know, it just, it feels so dated to me. And while the second episode was much better than the first episode... I thought. It,
1: it was. Yeah.
0: Especially the history lesson that Will gave the youngin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that as I get older, I find myself being a lot more resentful of younger generations of gays, not being aware <laughs> or curious enough about their own history and why they're able to live without the struggle, if you're so fortunate. Mm. Right? It
1: was definitely heavy handed. It was. Um,
0: but I was, I was okay with I appreciate with it.
1: that they put it in there.
0: Yes. But do you get what I'm saying? But yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. With this whole what I dislike here. And like, yeah, Jack is funny. He's always been funny, but he should be funny because of who he is. Yeah. uh, Not Because he's effeminate or flamboyant. Like those are really, those are like 1960s caricatures, you know? And his physical comedy stands on its own. It does. He's a talented actor. Yeah,
0: when he was doing the bits with the Magnets that physical comedy was good right like that's what we should be laughing at with his Mm. body movements not the fact that he's sashaying into a room right
1: and I like I mean I like seeing effeminate gay men and butch lesbians on TV I think all all areas of the gender spectrum need to be on TV and we don't need to uh, denigrate effeminate men but uh, it shouldn't be something that we laugh at no right
0: that's my rant about things I dislike. I'll let
1: you talk about what you dislike now. Wait, did you say what you like? Not yet. We're going oh, to do dislike well, first. Well, I better be careful. You... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I dislike... It's some. It's very, very minor okay. this week. Uh, Craig Tiley, who's the tournament director of the Australian Open, uh, did a, a bit of a press release today drumming up excitement for the Open talking about the record prize money of $4 million, called it historic equal prize money, which I have no idea what that even means. <laughs> it's like <laughs> more equality. It's just more It's just more money. They were already earning equal uh-huh. prize money, it was weird. And he also said, Serena will be back. And then every single headline and tweet said, tournament director said, Serena's coming back for the Australian Open in 2018. Like, well, that's not what he said. Obviously he said that because he wanted you to report that, that she's gonna be there, but this isn't news. She's been saying ever since she told us that she was pregnant, that she wanted to play the Australian Open. So this is not news. Whether she'll be there or not remains to be seen. So what I dislike this week is the speculation and the expectation that Serena will be back in January. It's a really short turnaround time. Having never been pregnant or given birth, I have no idea what to expect. I mean, we, we've been trying; it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and every woman is different, obviously. So I, I'm not, I don't have any expectations for when she'll come back. Whenever she's ready, whenever she's emotionally and physically ready to come back, she'll be there. Trust. Trust and believe in Queen Serena. Okay. And things you like? Things I like. um, Oh, we watched Girls Trip yesterday. Yes. With your family. And I don't think your mother loved it. (laughs) It was a little bit raunchy. A lot of talk about penises. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be classy and just say penises. Okay. Yes. I loved it. I thought it was so funny And everything people have said about Tiffany Haddish being the breakout star is true. Get her an Oscar. Melissa McCarthy got a nomination for Bridesmaids. I don't see any reason Tiffany Haddish shouldn't get the same for this movie. She is so funny. Comedy is hard. It's hard to sustain that kind of energy for an entire movie. And she did it. I loved the movie.
0: And you know what? We see that kind of comedy with Judd Apatow and the Seth Rogans, and all these trailer loads of generic white comedies. Oh, yeah. And so I'm not about to have it that, oh my god, it's a little bit too raunchy, it's this or that, just because it's woman. Like, no, mm-hmm. that's not oh, going to have that.
1: and let me, also, Regina Hall, I've been loving Regina Hall for a long time. She's so great, and she has to play more of a straight role in this. Mm-hmm. Does some, you know, it's it's can be hard work to match the energy of these huge personalities. And she does it. I absolutely I love her.
0: Love the little references here and there in the film. The set it off reference. Yes. When <laughs> Tiffany Haddish was like, oh, I'm going to go set this off. And then <laughs> then Jada and Queen Latifah are left behind and they look at each other like, hello, like mm. they start and set it off. That right. was really cool.
1: And, and was at like every famous black person in this movie? Yes. Laurence
0: Tate is back. Oh. 20 plus I've years after that. Love Jones, like my word, my word! I made you watch Love Jones because you'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was something for me <laughs> in my early youth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was set against the backdrop of the Essence Festival, which I knew that Mariah performed there. And had not having not watched the movie, I was like, oh my god, are we gonna see Mariah? Because a lot of it is filmed at the festival at the award show, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then right at the end, here's Miss Mariah. She's singing. Mm
1: -hmm. No stress, no fights. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: I I just, I really enjoyed it. The thing that I like, Isabel on Club de Cueros, or Club of Crows, as Netflix Uh, is calling it now. This is a show that doesn't get much play, much talk, much hype, but it's one that we've always enjoyed and the the relationship between Chava and Isabel it's what drives the show and to their credit it hasn't gotten tired or too tiresome Mm -hmm. over the course of three seasons they've managed to find them ways to work together and maintain the complexities of that relationship but it's Isabel who carries it for me I've never seen a woman carry a handbag
1: like she does. Except for unless, Sophia Petrillo. No,
0: unless it's Bob the Drag Queen, purse first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the season got very serious toward the end, mm-hmm. and I loved it.
0: The way she's able to cut looks at people, whether it's mm. um, Hugo Chavez or... Hugo Sanchez. <laughs>
1: wow. Hugo
0: Chavez is not in no, the show. No, not in the show. Hugo Sanchez <laughs> or Carmelo.
1: <laughs> I...
0: And I love the interplay between... Hugo Sanchez and Carmelo this mm-hmm. season. That was really
1: cool. So if anyone is out here watching Club de Cuervos, I Club, hope you're enjoying Club, it Club oh, oh my God, it's Club de Cuervos. okay, whatever. It makes me want to learn Spanish, but I don't think I'd ever learn Spanish well enough to follow the very, very, very quick Mexican Spanish that's going <laughs> on there. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: that brings us to the, to the end of uh, episode 98 It does. Thanks for listening. As you know, we are very close to the century. Our centennial—is that what it's called? No, it's our, our like a cricket century. Okay. It's something to—it's an achievement, right? It certainly is. Again, we're taking suggestions for what you want to hear. We're not going to do a clip show because I feel like that would be kind of a cop out, right? I told you I wanted to do
0: a Mariah Appreciation episode for episode 100, but I was quickly <laughs> shot down.
1: Well, it can't be all Mariah. People who <laughs> listen to us for tennis, mostly. I've, there will be a few people who would really appreciate uh, it. I was like, I got so much to say. You know what? Maybe an off-season episode. Mm, maybe. Please find us on Instagram, at The Body uh, Find us on Twitter. I'm at Elliot JMR. That's James. I'm Jonathan
0: at Tennis underscore John. On Twitter, the body serve is at the body serve. Till next time.